the Women of Color STEM Conference presents Strategic Executive Leadership. Discover essential leadership skills that change the game. A professional development seminar. Featuring Senior Manager for Boeing Global Engagement, Bernice Billups. Chief Financial Officer for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Cheryl Partey. Director of Learning and Workforce Development for Huntington Ingalls Industries, Keisha Pexton and Tanya Axenson of Aerotech. Ever wonder what separates good from great? The most effective leaders think ahead, keep the big picture in mind, and plan to get results. Key leaders will share their winning strategic moves and skills you can use to thrive as a leader and move to the next level. So, the question is, of all the leadership advice, what actually works? What are the top key strategies that we need to embrace to make the difference in the way we manage ourselves, people, and competing values? The key to success is planning a strategy and using the science of leadership to give you an edge. Without further ado, the Women of Color STEM Conference presents Strategic Executive Leadership. Discover essential leadership skills that change the game. A professional development seminar. Featuring Bernice Billups, Cheryl Partey, Keisha Pexton, and Tanya Axenson. Good morning. For those, for those of you who are just coming in, if I can get any of you to talk, come towards the front, that would be great. Um, as we have the whole first row available here. Everybody looks so good this morning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. So for those of you just coming in, if I can get you guys to come towards the front, that would be awesome. I'm hearing this will be a full room, and that way if we can leave some of the seating in the back available for the um, individuals who get here right on time. That would be awesome. So I want to be respectful of everyone's time um, this morning, so we are going to get started on the dot. It is 9 a.m. Um, this morning, I'm going, my name is Bernice Billups, and I'm a senior manager at the Boeing Company, and I am going to serve as the moderator for today's discussion. And before we get started, I'm just going to go through a few housekeeping notes. Um, and this is the strategic executive leadership, discover essential leadership skills that change the game. Um, starting at 9 a.m., the room number here is 258. So I want to make sure everyone is aware of the session that they are in. We talked about front row seating. Um, ensure that you got your badge scanned, especially for those who are seeking to get PDH credits. The desk is right outside, so you need to make sure you scan your badge to receive those credits. In addition, we've been told to encourage everyone to use the mobile app, as the mobile app will be utilized for surveys after this session, as well as a resource to be able to access the presentation that's going to be shared with you today. Um, in addition, um, as we go through the session, when you do have questions, if you could utilize the microphone that's located in the middle of the room because the session is being recorded. I want to kind of talk to you about the format that this um, 
awesome panel has decided to incorporate for this session itself. Um, the presentation has been broken into three modules. Um, our presenter will provide a presentation with some key topics and then the panel will engage in a dialogue. We want this to be a very interactive session. So within those three conversations, we're going to have time for you guys to ask questions and make sure we're having an exchange of dialogue, best practices and ideas. Um, so please um, don't hesitate if you have a question to line up behind the microphone and we'll make sure we get those questions answered as well. Now I want to take a time moment to introduce this power pack panel we have. I am excited to serve as a moderator today um, and get to know these three ladies. Um, their personalities are very dynamic and this is a panel discussion that is very broad in terms of it's covering government, industry, as well as recruitment. Um, we have um, individuals who have a wide breadth of experience in all of those areas. We have Dr. Keisha Paxton, who will serve as our presenter for today, as well as a panelist. And she is the Director of Learning and Workforce Development for Newport News Ship Shipbuilding, which is a division of Huntington Ingalls Industries. We also have Tanya Axenson, who is currently the Vice President of Human Resources for Aerotech. And we have Cheryl Partey, who serves as the CFO for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Southwestern Division. So as I said, we have a very dynamic panel, and let's give them a round of applause. So I am now going to turn it over to Dr. Keisha Paxton, so she can um, start us off with our presentation. Good morning. Good morning. I am so grateful to have this opportunity to be here this morning and partner with this phenomenal team of women in leadership to discuss the topic of strategic leadership. Um, I'll start off by saying that the information that I'm going to share, I'm going to go through it pretty quickly because over the last couple of weeks we've spent some time together teleconferencing and even last night and then even in those moments I've already learned a lot. So I really think you're going to get a lot of value in the discussions that we're going to have as a panel, kind of unpacking some of the bullet points that I'm going to cover this morning. So to, to start off, you know, we are all familiar with the, the, the concept or the fact that there's a difference between management and leadership, right? Um, so we're going to dig into a little bit of the differences that exist within organizations around leadership itself. Uh, there's different types of leaders, and so I want to kind of level set our understanding. When we talk about strategic leadership, what, what are we talking about? Um, you know, a, a lot of functions in an organization from a leadership standpoint are operational leaders. You know, those are the leaders who are really focused on organizing the, the elements of the organization, uh, the processes, those different systems and things that help us be efficient and effective at the work that we do. Um, and so those are those operational leaders, and they tend to be really focused on execution. You know, organizing teams to work together really strongly to the execute the st strategy and the vision that's been established for the organization. Uh, they're really good at providing that stability in the organization, making sure they have the right people in the right places and that they're really effective in what they do. Uh, they devise those systems that make things run smoothly. And uh, they're really kind of focused on creating solutions to problems that tend to exist already in the organization. Uh, and so they, they, they tend to live in the now. And most of those operational type leaders, they're not the ones who are out front. Uh, they're the ones that are kind of uh, back at the home base, really making sure that they're engaged 
and the people that can get things done from day to day. The difference between operational leaders and strategic leaders, um, it, it's a whole different skill set. Actually, statistics show that most leaders, uh, there's a, a large percent of leaders, only about 10% of leaders in, in, in organizations today have the strategic skill sets to operate at that next level. And those leaders are ones who actually create um, and align that strategy and vision for the organization. They align it and connect it to the business strategy. They're really focused on the industry that's around the organization and making sure that the, the vision that they have and the strategies that they create um, are taking advantage of what's going on in the market around them. Uh, instead of providing that stability, they're, they're actually looking for healthy disruption. We hear a lot about disrupt, creating disruption in organizations, and you can dis create disruption in a healthy or an unhealthy way. I categorize healthy disruption as uh, disruption with a plan to put things back in order. That's what makes it healthy. Um, they infuse industry changing systems. They're out there looking for what are the things that we're not doing as an organization that could be game changers for us if we were to find ways to incorporate it. They're very anticipatory. They, they're, they're out in front. They're looking for future problems. They're, they're understanding what's next. What's the next thing that could impact us, that could slow us down, that can uh, uh, impact any change that we're trying to incorporate into the organization. Um, and they always live in the next. So just really level setting, the understanding the difference between the two. And it's important to understand which one you are, which one you're operating in today, you know, so you can help gauge where you are on that, on that spectrum, kind of understand what that gap is. But just as importantly, in assessing the leaders that work with you and around you, it's, it's also very helpful to understand which ones they are. Because those strategic leaders that are in your organization, those are, the, those are great uh, resources for you to partner with to help you execute that strategy and vision or even create that strategy and vision that you're looking uh, to um, uh, incorporate into your organization. So that kind of baselines the difference between the types of leaders we're talking about today. But I want to go ahead and jump into um, what are some personal strategies or characteristics of strategic leaders? You know, have, what are, the, what are the things that they really own that makes a difference in their leadership approach? So uh, one thing is their ability to balance vision with execution. And I'm going to go back to the fact that they surround themselves and they identify those people in the organization, in the organization that are game changers. Because it's one thing to have a vision, but to be able to connect that vision to short and long-term goals that allow you to actually execute it, uh, otherwise it's just an idea, right? So strategic leaders are very good at finding ways of using people, resources, and information to align their vision with their execution. Uh, they have an insatiable hunger for learning. Uh, strategic leaders never stop learning. They're always trying to create a culture where learning is a priority. Uh, they're in their industry understanding what data is out there that's important. What are those subtle shifts in the market that are changing? Uh, they're connected to that, and they unpack that, asking themselves, well, why is this happening? How can we capitalize on it? And they create a culture of organizational learning. They hold their people accountable to never, never maintaining their current uh, uh, state and always you know, expanding and reaching their fullest potential. <clears throat> Obviously, they have a collaborative mindset. They find people. They leverage ideas. They create an environment where they can incorporate multiple perspectives in very unique ways. And in doing so, they really position the organization to be in a good place to adapt to change and to be ready for what's next. So they have a very strong collaborative mindset. Um, they're data-driven decision makers. And this ties back to that balance of vision and execution. In order to execute those long and short-term goals, they know what data, 
what metrics are extremely important for them to, to, uh, to pay attention to, to inform them in their decisions. What are the people they need to surround themselves with? Who are the stakeholders? What's the information that they have? They, they ask the right questions. And later in the presentation, we're going to talk about what kinds of questions they're asking in order to make those data-driven decisions. And last, strategic leaders challenge the status quo. They, they step into that open space and they're not afraid to ask why. They're not afraid to not only challenge the assumptions of their peers, but they're not, they're not intimidated by challenging their own assumptions and what they, they feel like they understand about the industry. They're always open uh, to, to what's next and understanding how to uh, uh, adapt and to, and, to, and to grow into new opportunities and ideas. So they're not afraid of change. They actually embrace change. Um, and, and the really strong strategic leaders are agents of change and they're risk mitigators. Those who are the, the ones who resist change, they know how to engage with those and mitigate those, those, those potential barriers or hurdles that would prevent them from, from being successful in challenging the status quo. So we're going to go back to our panel now. We're going to talk, we're going to unpack these strategies that get results and we're going to learn from some real world experiences and applications. Thanks, Keisha. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes. Great. So one of the points I would like to kind of um, pose to the panelists is on a day-to-day -day basis, we are oftentimes busy putting out fires, responding to emerging needs, um, operating in very dynamic environments. Um, can you share some best practices on how you achieve that balance of vision and execution while leading at the same time? Because that is a balancing act. I think everybody wants a little best practice on how to do that effectively. They're fighting over here, so um, <laughs> I'm going to kick Tanya to kick us off. Um, you know, we actually talked about this um, over a glass of wine last night, and I think the unanimous consensus um, among the group is you have to be intentional. It's like any other part of, of your life. Everyone says in business, what gets measured gets done. What gets planned for gets done. Some things might happen you didn't plan for, but if you really want something to get done, you have to be intentional and deliberate and you have to plan for it. So we talked about, you might schedule in your, your work day, you might schedule in your kid's soccer game, you might schedule in a trip to the gym. As leaders, it's so important to schedule in that quiet time for yourself so you can think the big thoughts. So you're not just in that day where you're putting out the fires and dealing with the emergencies, but whether it's 15 minutes a day, Ideally, it's 30 or 40 you know, minutes a day to really think about, I set this strategy at the beginning of the year. How is that going? And then more importantly, that what's next? You know, and so it's being intentional. So you have that time and then holding yourself accountable to honoring that promise to yourself, to give yourself that time to think about what's next, to pull up out of the weeds and really think about the big picture. I think a lot of it is just making it a priority and being very deliberate and intentional with making sure that you have that time to function at that level, because it is so easy to get caught up in the weeds of the day-to-day. -day. Cheryl, you had some great thoughts yesterday <laughs> as we talked about this Again, as we said, that was over wine, so <laughs> we'll see what happens today. But anyway, I'll take a different little perspective here when you talk about, it's almost like work-life balance, where, you know, that's an oxymoron, if you will, because we are so engaged in what we're doing every day, and we're trying to think about, okay, we as women, no offense to the gentleman in the, in the audience, but we as women are always multitasking. What do we have to do here? What do we got to do at work? We got to feed the kids at home. We got to take the kids, pick them up, all that kind of stuff. But when we, um, when we talk about in the workplace, um, a lot of times we as leaders 
And especially if you've grown up in the ranks of your organization, you, you tend to want to get in there and do all that kind of stuff. But as a leader, you actually have to allow those around you to do what they're there to do. And so that you don't feel like you're always having to do everything. You know, you, you've got to give those people under you the opportunity to grow and develop. That's what a true leader is because you want that person to be able to do what you do when you're not there. So I tell you, I have the most awesome team ever. And I was very deliberate in selecting those people to be on that team because now I'm here for a week. I was gone on the last day of September, which is fiscal year closeout. That's usually not uh, a thing that we financial people do, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I'm here. <laughs> but I have such a great team that I have given the opportunity to flourish. And so I didn't have to worry about the closeout. And I, I think that's something that we have to be cognizant of in our day-to-day -day lives and our day-to-day -day workplace. I agree with everything she said, except I have the best team ever. <laughs> I have the best team ever. But no, I think that's key. Um, and I think it's being able to delegate so you don't get caught up in those fires. I think it's delegating with accountability. So making sure that your team is that best team mm -hmm. ever and they can handle what you're giving them. And a lot of that is really understanding as a leader because you do have, you can't do everything. So as you become more strategic, you've got to have folks around you who can also in a strategic mm -hmm. way fulfill their part of it. And that's making sure that you really get to know your team you know, a lot about leadership is motivating those around you, understanding right. their skill set, understanding where they might need help, understanding their why. Like all of us come to work for a reason. Some folks need a lot of autonomy. Others need a little bit more direction, understanding how they operate best so you can help them be the best them in the part that they have to do, which allows you to mm -hmm. be on fun panels. So. That's right. And going back to what Keisha said as well on that first slide on operational and strategic. You as a leader have to be able to separate yourself once you get to that point into doing those strategic things and allow those folks that are under you and on your team to do the day-to-day -day managerial things that they're doing. And then they learn those strategic skill sets as well in order to do that. So I'm going to defer over to Keisha to give us some additional input on that topic as well. And at the same time, as um, the panel has kind of discussed some strategies about leadership and how to you know, balance that vision and execution. If anybody has any questions that they would like to ask on this topic, please um, feel free to step up to the microphone so we can um, engage in a dialogue with those as well. So Keisha, as we've had this conversation, I know you have a lot to add on it um, as it relates to that critical skill set, especially mm -hmm. what Tanya mentioned um, that's needed to balance that vision and execution. We'd like to hear your thoughts on that also. Yeah, certainly. Um, one key role that I think strategic leaders play in an organization is they're good talent managers and talent recruiters, talent identifiers of people within their organization. Some of the best ideas uh, that could inform your vision sometimes come from lower levels of the organization, people that are down there on the, at, at the front level uh, where the work is actually happening. Some of the best ideas originate from, from those people. So when you're, when you're creating your, your, your vision, um, it's important to make sure that every once in a while we get that email or that phone call from that random person that says, hey, can I get 30 minutes just to meet with you? I've got an idea. And we know sometimes our schedules are so jam-packed. Um, but squeeze those 30 minutes in because some of the best ideas that I've gotten are, are from, from, from those people who are, who are deep in the organization and really understand um, uh, things that can make a difference for the organization. 
On top of that, when you identify those people, get them involved in the execution of the vision. If, if it's theirs, they own it. Find a way to get them involved in a task team or what have you, because you're, you're, you're kind of twofold. You're helping to develop them as well as giving them ownership and allowing them to execute the idea that they helped surface for you. So strategic leaders know where to find talent within the organization, and they know how to elevate it in a way that helps move the organization forward. Thanks. We're going to go to the audience for a question. Please state your name and the organization you are with. Good morning. My name is Glau, and I'm from Boeing. And I see you guys talk about the leadership skills, uh, but I also want to ask you what you as a leader expect, expect from your team. Because some of us is not still, we are not leading yet, but I'd like to know what you expect from your team. That's a broad question. That is. Hmm. I, the first word that popped into my mind was um, a sense of ownership. You know, no matter where you are in the organization, no matter what part of the puzzle you work on, it all comes together. Like every organization exists for a reason, you know, and so there is a vision, there's a mission, there's a purpose for that organization. So whether you're helping to set that strategy or you're someone who's doing a small, kind of more entry level part in the process, it's really owning that to the best of your ability. And I think piggybacking on what Keisha said, it's looking at your piece of the puzzle, thinking about how it fits in that bigger hole and making that part the best it can be. So I think the first thing that popped into my mind was a sense of own ownership. And also I would say probably just a sense of curiosity to want to understand the bigger hole and really invest in the organization. Next question. Yes, good morning. My name is Julie Williams-Bird and I'm at NASA Langley Research Center. And my question is, as we look at our workforce and we look at folks that we have around us, are there key questions that you can ask or different things that you look for when you're looking for diversity of ideas? You need somebody who is deep in their technical capability, yet really good with their digital capabilities and can be on a team. Is there any tips that you have as far as, you know, identifying those people to see how they have, you know, they think across different areas and they have diversity in their thoughts? So you must have seen my slide deck, because that is the next thing we're going to talk about. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and, and, and launch up. <laughs> so great question. Um, it's important to know what are, what are those key questions that you can ask in order to move the organization forward, and also as a strategic leader to make sure you're being impactful, right? So that, that executive leadership knowledge. Uh, first, you have to know who matters. When you're, when you're identifying new ideas, new strategies, when you're trying to execute and implement change, you need to know who matters in doing that. And so some of the questions you should be asking yourself are who are the key stakeholders who are involved in this change? What's the opinions and experiences and perspectives that they have? So that means that you're getting with those folks um, as, you're, as you're developing that vision or as you're developing that idea or trying to execute a key strategy. You're getting with those folks, you're involving them, you're having those discussions with them, and you're making sure that, that, um, um, that, that they have a voice in, in the idea or strategy you're trying to execute. Um, you're also identifying who else needs to be on board, right? So again, I mentioned earlier, you know, strategic leaders get out in front and they identify who are the naysayers, who's going to be the person in the meeting that's going to challenge my thought, or who's going to ask me, well, you know, that's not the way we've all, that we've done it in the past, or why is this way going to be different? You know, it's very important to get in, get in front of that and ask um, who are the people who are going to help you push your strategies forward and who are the people who might be a speed bump for you. Um, and then, you know, uh, we had a great uh, speed mentoring session yesterday 
uh, with our company. And one topic that came up is understanding the differences between mentors and champions. Everybody should have a mentor, but everybody should have a champion. Same thing around your strategic ideas. You should have champions, people that are kind of going out there for you and really championing your ideas. And so who are those people that have influence in your organization? Sometimes they're their peers, sometimes there might be executives that are adjacent to your organization or your department, but make sure you identify who are those champions who can help you uh, promote your, your, your strategies and help you be more effective as a leader. So that's who you have to involve. How do you go about, about do, executing your strategy? Uh, so know how to get it done. Um, when you are developing a strategy as a leader, trying to implement it, you want to know how does a solution or approach help or, or hinder your, the achievement of the goals or specific, specific objectives you're trying to accomplish. All right, so make sure you're evaluating your idea. Sometimes an idea pops in your, in, your, in your mind. A lot of times for me it's when I'm driving, and it sounds tremendous to me, like, oh, my God, we have to do this. Um, and so I've already sold myself. I'm already drinking my own Kool-Aid, my own Kool-Aid, and I haven't really unpacked it to say, well, you know, is this the right solution? Is it really going to help move us in the direction that we need to go? Um, what are the different ways that you might be able to reframe that idea that, uh, or a challenge or a strategy and see it from different angles? Try to be the other people in the room. Again, uh, be your own, I'll say critic, but be your own evaluator of your, uh, of your ideas. So, uh, Look at your, your concepts and look at ways to reframe them from different angles. Um, and, and look in the mirror, right? Uh, look at your own experiences. Uh, try to identify what biases might I have or what things might be limiting my view on the situation. And then involve people that, that challenge you. Some of the best people to, to partner with are the people that challenge you in the way that you think and, and challenge you in your approach. A lot of times we put up walls against those people because they make our jobs more difficult. They're really great opportunities to learn and breed and grow your ideas. Uh, so uh, don't allow your own experiences or biases to limit the potential of your ideas as strategic leaders. And then as far as the, we, we talked about the who and the how, uh, know what else to consider. Um, what's the external uh, or, or industry data that's out there that's important uh, when you're analyzing your, your ideas and, 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 and make sure that you are knowledgeable uh, of what are those, like I said earlier, those small disruptive things in the industry? What are those things? Make sure you're very informed of that. Um, if there's one single factor uh, in your idea that could make a, a, the biggest impact or the biggest change, go after that hard. Usually strategies have multiple components, they're facets to them. Um, and so go after the big ideas, the biggest hurdle, the hardest department or apartment, uh, department to get on board or partner with, whatever that might be. Go after those big things that can make the biggest splash and the biggest impact. Sometimes we tend to refrain from that or even, you know, I always say do the hard stuff first. Uh, that's what I tell my son when, he's, when he brings home homework. Do the hard stuff first. Make it easy stuff for last. The same thing when you're executing a vision. And then, you know, all organizations have politics, all right? There's political realities in every organization, all right? Uh, some of those political realities are financial. Some of those political realities are positional. Uh, so recognize what are the political realities. Ask yourself those questions. Don't, don't be fooled to think that you're not going to hit some, some opposition in, in, in those regards. So what are those political realities that might affect your success? So we're going to go back to our panel discussion and we're going to talk about some of these leadership questions and this leadership knowledge that helps us transform our industries. Thanks, Keisha. So um, a lot of what you shared talked about, you know, solutions pitching your ideas, um, 
sometimes when we take leadership roles, we may be new in those roles. Um, what advice could you ladies share for an individual who is new to serving maybe as a strategy team lead and um, not necessarily a SME in that area? Like what strategies or advice would you share with them about um, how to position themselves in leadership when they don't have all the answers? I'll give a prime example. I am a financial person. I'm chief financial officer in the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. So it's a male-driven, dominated uh, organization, and they're engineers there. They have a different mindset than we financial folks. You know, if there's any engineers in the house, please don't be offended. <laughs> you guys are just a little anal. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we as financial people are anal in our own right as well. So I think when you're, when you're going into an organization that you are not the SME, you've got to utilize your resources. You've got to go around and see those people that are the SMEs, get to know them, understand what they're doing, understand how you can support them and how they can support you. Because, you know, I go to the, my different uh, program managers and, and try to see what they're doing with regard to their contracts or their projects or that kind of thing because I'm not very skilled on the engineering piece of the pie. But I can tell them how they can get funding for it on what they need to do in order to get those projects to the end. So it's about utilizing the resources, understanding what the mission is, and seeing how you can pull all those resources in together in order for you both to get there. I think building on that, you know, you could be the head of finance or the head of HR, and even when you're at a senior level, you still only really always know your piece of the puzzle. So going to your partners, bringing in those people with their perspectives, you might have a great idea of a way to innovate or disrupt your business. So you're going to look at it from your lens. But if you socialize that idea with your finance partners or you mm -hmm. socialize it with a few engineers, or you socialize it with a salesperson, or you socialize it with your partner over, you know, dinner in the evening, the more times that you are, the more times you have to articulate your idea, the more firm you're going to become and the more people are going to say, well, did you think about this angle? Did you think about that angle? Because everyone has that diversity of thought and those different perspectives. So, you know, it's not always the most efficient, which you know, sometimes drives me crazy, but sometimes you have that meeting before the meeting. So you get all this input. So it's your idea and it's great, but you've gotten a handful of people's input to make it better. So you've anticipated what might be some of the potential downfalls or pitfalls of that idea so you can address it. So when you get your seat at that table and you get that moment to pitch your idea, you're ready. And it's the best presentation of your thought that it can be. And that's leveraging mm -hmm. expertise in different areas of the organization. Um, I also, the woman from NASA, I also heard in your question, how do you select folks for diversity of thought? And I think it's folks who show curiosity, you know, that willingness to dive into an area. Whenever I interview someone, if I ask a question, my favorite answer starts with, I wonder if whatever they say, mm -hmm. I don't care what they say as much, but it's that curiosity and that openness to different ideas that I think helps. Um, and again, on the, the earlier point, it's getting all those different perspectives to make the best product that you can. Great. Let's go to the audience. Hi, good morning. Letitia Davis, uh, Ford Motor Company. So one of the questions I have, I was listening to you, Dr. Keisha, you mentioned take on the hardest like things first. So that kind of goes against how in my profession, it's always when I get on a big project, this gets some quick wins. Mm -hmm. 
So I'd like to know how do you navigate that? I do know at the end of the tunnel that big thing looks great, but when I go to present to management what I've done, especially in those critical monthly statuses, how do I navigate to say, I haven't done that yet, I know it'll come, and if I were to do as you said, get that hard thing, that big thing, how do I change my train of thought? Because I, I think I kind of disagree with that, but yeah. I'd just like to know what I could do to navigate that to help in what I'm doing. Certainly. No, thanks for your question. Um, so the, the, the quick wins are important, especially when you're operating as a strategic leader. As a strategic leader, you're expected to get results. You're expected to be impactful. And so you should always be bringing to the table, you know, what is your organization doing that's moving this company forward? Um, and so, you know, as, as leaders, we, we've, we've got to good, be good marketers, marketers of our skill sets and, and what we bring to an organization. So any opportunity you get to share quick wins, um, as far as what's going on with your team, you should. But there's got to be a balance there between that and the hard stuff as well. Because what happens is, is that we get so consumed with the day-to-day -day quick wins that we forget. We forget that we're supposed to be working on those big, hard ideas. And so that's when it comes back to surrounding yourself with a strong team. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I encourage my deputy directors to keep me informed of the things we're doing well. I kick off every staff meeting every two weeks with, Let's talk about our recent wins. What happened in the last two weeks that I need to know about so that when I go into that next meeting with my boss, I can share those things. But at the same time, I'm balancing that against, all right, we know we've got this, this big strategy we're trying to execute. What's the next short-term goal? What's the next long-term goal? So it goes back to balancing those short and long-term goals in a way that allows you to align your vision and your execution. I hope I answered your question. You, you, you disappeared in the crowd. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll turn it over to the panel members in case they have some other things to add to that. One thing I'll just say is when we think about transformative, and that was one of the key words I took out of this um, discussion, generally those easy wins are not industry transformative wins. Mm -hmm. So um, just to you know, piggyback on, you know, keep that mindset of transformative. Easy wins actually don't transform an industry. Let's go to the I want to make sure we have enough time to get all of our questions in. Next person from the audience. Yes. Good morning. My name is Karen Felton, and I work at Marine Corps Systems Command in Quantico. And I wanted to ask, when you talk about strategy, um, have can you give an example of when you've done the homework, you've, you've, you've talked to the naysayers and the stakeholders, and you realize that you are approaching an idea topic that is political um, and may have some issues. You're bumping against the, that 800-pound elephant in the room. Can you give an example of how you powered through that? There's a lot of 800-pound elephants. Oh, yeah, there is. I think we talked about this a little bit last night when yeah. we talked about the pre-work before the meeting. Uh -huh. what you got to put into it. Well, I would say, you know, um, it's in those moments when you hit those political realities or face those challenges. Um, you, should, you should welcome that because it's in those moments that maybe there's something, there's some question you haven't asked. Mm -hmm. um, those 800-pound elephants, they absolutely exist. If you've done your homework, you already know that they're there. You're not mm -hmm. surprised by them. 
Um, and if you are surprised by them, then you likely haven't done enough homework around the, the, the concept. Um, you might also consider, I mean, how many of you guys are in, in organizations right now that are going through some type of change? That should be everything. Right, right. <laughs> and so the, the, the reality is, is that even though those political realities exist, uh, other people in your organization are facing those same barriers. And so who else has been success, successful in your organization in getting their strategies beyond that 800-pound elephant? Go spend some time with them. Go learn from them. Uh, that's one idea I would offer. I think that was well said, and I think it's about understanding the why. Like, if there's an 800-pound elephant, it exists for a reason. Mm -hmm. So I think it's understanding the why it's there, what led to that political landscape. So then you can really think about the best way around it. But I think it is really doing your homework, understanding what the issue is, but also importantly, why is it there? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it's easy to come in, come in and say, well, that makes no sense. And, you know, especially if you're new to a company, it's easy to be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But understanding why it's that way helps you to kind of present the most creative ideas around it. We're not going to always understand why that political beast is there. And we that work for the government and the public sector can, can really understand that. And not saying anything against the private sector, but um, politicalness, bureaucracy, red tape, all of those things that tend to get in our way, if you will, of us trying to execute the mission. However, I say that we do have to try to take a step back because we're not going to always agree with those decisions, those political decisions that come down and say, okay, I'm moving along and I'm getting things done and then all of a sudden, boom, I have to stop, I have to think again and, and try to do something else because some political something has come down. But what we have to do is take a step back, look at things holistically, and try to understand what that political barrier is and why it is there. And once we try to look at that from a different lens and not be so myopic sometimes in what we do, mm -hmm. and we try to open ourselves up to, to what is out there and what those forces are that are affecting us, then I think we as leaders are able to see the vision a little bit better and understand it, and then we can govern ourselves accordingly. You're listening to Strategic Executive Leadership. Discover essential leadership skills that change the game. A professional development seminar. Featuring Bernice Billups, Cheryl Partey, Keisha Pexton, and Tanya Axenson. Brought to you by the Women of Color STEM Conference. Uniting women in STEM by continuing the press for progress. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you. You're welcome. Next question. Hey, good morning. My name is Shadina Devine with the Boeing Company. Um, so as a strategic leader, how do you get your peers or your team to feel empowered? Um, and I ask this question because I know on my teams, people have the knowledge, the capability, but for some reason they don't want to go forward with what they have. They always want to do the check-in. Um, but So how do you get them to get empowered to be able to drive forward? Well, let's see. <laughs> For my team's birthdays, I bake them cakes. Okay. So uh, that doesn't empower them, but they feel a little more comfortable. Um, also, people have to know what is what their role is, how they fit into the bigger picture, and understand where they fit in that mission. 
Mm -hmm. um, empowering them, you have to, as a leader, you've got to recognize the strengths. And I don't call things weaknesses. I don't like that word. I call them opportunities to excel. And so when I talk to m my folks, I, I look at what they're doing and I look at how they're performing and that kind of thing. And some folks are not, they don't want to get up. My deputy does not like to go to meetings. She does not like to brief. She doesn't like to do anything. She likes to do the day-to-day -day stuff. You go to the meeting and you know that kind of thing. But I make her go because she has to understand that that is part of her job and then um, she's better for it and you have other people that are they're they're not numbers folks you know but you look at the strengths that each one has and you capitalize on those strengths because not everybody has wants to go out there and be in the forefront but sometimes you have to put people in situations that they may not be comfortable with. Because here's one of the things I tell folks that, that I mentor. You've got to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. You can take that away and write it down. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we all get in these uncomfortable situations. There's a lot of people that don't like public speaking. You know, you wouldn't believe it, but I am an introvert at heart. But I put myself in situations so that I can learn and grow. And I think that's what you have to do with your team as well, understanding what their strengths are and capitalizing on those. I agree wholeheartedly with that, and I would I would add to it. You also have to set the expectation. People always want to know what's expected of them. So if you, with your team, if you can again that delegation with accountability, but if you can really empower the team by being very explicit to say, I want you to own this. I'm here if you need me. I'm here if you need me. Those two week check ins, like I will be there to help if there's a problem. I will jump in front of the bus for the team, but you own this, you know, and I'm here for you. You know, when I first started my career, I had a bunch of amazing leaders who I felt every day like I was walking on a tightrope, like I was doing things I had no business doing, you know, and it was hard and it was challenging and it was terrifying at times. But I looked down, I always felt like I had a safety net. They were always there. And so what I try to do with my team is say, you own this and I'm here if you need me. So I think really being explicit with what you expect for them, because most folks don't know. So your question about, feeling empowered, a lot of times people won't feel empowered unless they're told they're empowered in a way that does play to their mm -hmm. strengths. So I think that's a really good way of maybe just setting that expectation of what you need the team to do or own so you can work on the other things that you need to. Okay. And did you have any comments, Roxy? No? We have time for one more question, so I'm going to take the person <laughs> behind you. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Michelle Fairby. I work at NASA Langley Research Center in Hampton, Virginia. And my question is around um, transformation and transformative ideas. And you touched on it, um, talking about the difference between a, a quick win versus something that's really, truly transform, uh, transformational. So could you kind of talk about that a little bit more? What What is the, where is that line between um, transformative ideas and transformation versus making improvements to the status quo. Yeah, so um, transformative ideas uh, change the impact of, of your organization and they connect to the, the things that matter most as far as the business strategy is concerned. Um, most organizations have some sort of business strategy. Um, so as a strategic leader, it's important to make sure that it, as you come up with ideas and things like that, connect them to that strategy. 
so that they're making a difference for your organization. Um, when things are transformational, um, they change the way people go to work every day. Uh, they change the results that you're getting. Uh, they change business performance. They improve business performance. Um, and so they have big impact. Uh, as opposed to some of the smaller wins, they're great. They're, they're, they're moving, they're inching the, the, the organization along, but they really don't make that big splash. Um, and so that's, that's, that's what I would characterize as the big differences between the two. Okay, this was a great conversation and dialogue. I think this gives us a segue to talk about some personal strategies. Okay, so we've talked about, you know, the characteristics of strategic leaders, the difference between operational and strategic leaders. We've talked about the types of questions they ask, the type of strategies they deploy in order to get those big transformational ideas um, in place. So now let's spend a little bit talking about us as individuals and how do we show up in those moments, in those meetings, in those briefings, in those presentations as women to be impactful. So we're going to talk about some verbal, the power of executive presence, some verbal things to keep in mind and some nonverbal things to keep in mind. All right. Um, so whatever industry you're in, we're always in the market or in the business of marketing ourselves as leaders. And so we are always on stage, pun intended. Uh, and so, don't chuckle out of that. <laughs> so it's very important when we're in meetings that, uh, that we, we, we focus on how we respond to what's going on. That we respond and we don't react. We are emotional beings by nature. All right, we're, we're mothers, we're sisters, we're girlfriends. Um, I have, I've got a 14-year-old niece that drives me crazy because everything is so dramatic, right? And so we can't bring that to work. And so it's very important that when we're in those moments that we respond and we don't react. I like to uh, emphasize the, uh, the importance of the power of a pause. Um, that, those three or four or five seconds when somebody says something that just incites something in you, when you just know you just want to go right after it and fall their eyes out. Uh, those three to five seconds, those three to five seconds of just pausing can be very powerful for you to collect your thoughts, collect your facts, and make sure you're able to speak clearly um, and articulate what you want to say without being too emotional about it. How many of you guys have had that experience when you've gotten so emotional in a meeting that you feel those tears start to bubble up, you know, and you're, then you get mad because you're like, oh, there's no crying at work, you know, it's going to make me seem weak. Um, a really cool tactic is if you know you might be going into a meeting when things might get, uh, might get a little heated, take a bottle of water with you because it's very hard to cry and drink water at the same time. You know that. Try it. Next time you try, you cry, try to drink a bottle of some water. So, you know, just get there, use those three sips of water for your power of your paws, get yourself together. Um, and, and that'll help you out a lot. And you know, all in, in this context, don't don't always be the first to speak. Don't mm -hmm. always be the last to speak, but speak. Okay, once you get yourself together, make sure you speak. And also, as you're waiting for that opportunity to speak, listen to what's been said mm -hmm. and identify what has not been said. What idea, what angle, what one thing have we not touched on yet that when I do speak, I have something of value to add. We love to talk. I love to talk. <laughs> and stories in leadership, the ability to story tell, that's a very important quality to have. Knowing when it's time to tell stories and when it's not time to tell stories, that's a very important quality to have. So as women, we have to practice getting to our point and making sure we're concise. 
How many times do we have to try to find our way to enter? It's like getting on an interstate ramp, right? Trying to get into the conversation in, in, in the meeting. Um, so when you do get into that conversation, make sure you're concise. Uh, a good strategy to use is what, so what, now what? What's the bottom line up front? I always tell my people, what's the bluff? Give me the bottom line up front. You're, you're, you're taking too much time. What's the bottom line up front? Why does it matter? And what are we going to do about it next? And then shut up. <laughs> Don't add any more to it. All the extras are not necessary. Um, and also, uh, another strategy is uh, PRE. Point, what's your point? What's your reason? Now, you can give an example. Okay, that's another strategy you can use when you're trying to help yourself get to the point. This is a, not, this is a verbal uh, uh, um, example of using your voice to take up space. Uh, as women, we're, we're typically conditioned. We, we cross our legs. We fold our arms. I know I'm always cold in meetings. I'm folding my arms. And even though I'm six foot tall, I, I can make myself small, right? And so uh, when, when you do speak, sit up at the table. Project your voice. Look around the room, all right? Use your voice to make you uh, have a presence. Um, sometimes if the situation allows for it, if there's a whiteboard and, and getting to your point helps you draw things out, get, helps you get to that point, get up and, and go up to that whiteboard and address the group in, in that way. And that helps you really kind of take up space and have a good presence. So as women, we a lot of times kick off the things we have to say with, as uh, uh, kick off the things we have to say by saying, you know, I really don't like presenting, but, uh, or let me run through this really, really quickly, or you know what, I'm sorry, but I have something to say. Don't discount yourself before you've made Absolutely. your point, all right? It's very important that you display confidence in what you have to say. You know, jump right into the conversation and say, hey, I have something to add to that. That's important for you to know. Or just, just go right into the fact of what it is. But a lot of times we apologize um, as women uh, for, for nothing. Um, and so stop apologizing. You know, be confident in what you have to say and go after it. How many of you guys uh, are, are, are familiar with uptalk? That's when you end your statements with a question? Or you end your statement with a high-pitched voice? Is that okay? Um, again, you're almost asking for permission, and you don't need to do that. You know, be very, very uh, level set in your tone. If you are going to place emphasis on your word, do it in the middle of your statements so that people get, you get people's attention. If you're in a meeting and you see people on their phones, sometimes if you really project your voice and, and, and deflections in the middle of your statement, you'll get their attention. But pay attention to that, because sometimes as women, we speak in a, an apologetic tone, mm -hmm. and we tend to up-talk. So make sure you avoid that. So those are some uh, verbal things that you can pay attention to when you're considering your executive presence. So some nonverbal things. It's important to remember that when you are that you are visible, even when you're silent, and so your nonverbal habits are speaking for you, even when you're not saying anything. Uh, so some real simple things. You have to become aware of whether you're doing the nervous fidgeting, the the pen clicking. I have a very bad habit of rolling my pen on my fingers in meetings. Um, if you're messing with your clothes or jewelry or rings or what have you, be in the moment. All right, be engaged. Don't allow that. Those things tend to be distractions, and they, they, they give you a certain type of image. 
Um, I encourage you to find an accountability partner, another female in your organization that sometimes is in a lot of the same meetings as you, and ask them to watch you in meetings. And ask them to walk out afterwards and say, you know what, uh, you know, you really had your arms folded the whole time, or, you know, that blouse isn't working for you because that button keeps coming undone, you know. <laughs> Someone will be honest with you. Uh, find that person that can hold you accountable and help you out with that. I need help with this one. Uh, so I'm a thinker. I'm constantly thinking of my five strength finders, analyticals in there. I'm always thinking. But I've, I've got the, uh, the, the RBF. Everybody know what the RBF is? <laughs> the resting face, right? I, I, I have it. And so I'm always in meetings, and my eyebrows are furled, and my friends are looking, is everything okay? Are you upset? And I'm, I'm thinking about what's not being said. Uh -huh. I'm thinking about you know, my presence or what have you. Um, but we have to pay attention to your expression. Um, and make sure that you're not rolling your eyes when that, that person in the meeting that always challenges you is challenging you. Look at them directly in the face. Even they have a little, small, little smile waiting to make your point afterwards. Don't roll your eyes. Don't sit back. Another bad habit I have is I sigh a lot. <laughs> you know, and I don't realize how loud it is. So pay attention to those nonverbal cues because you're, you're, you're speaking even though you're not. As women... We sit there and we look like bobbleheads. When anybody's talking, we're sitting there saying, you know, whether we agree with them or not, a lot of times <laughs> we're sitting there doing this in meetings. We want people to know that we're listening and that we're engaged. Don't give people your consent unless you know for sure you agree with them, because you may not agree with them, and you might need to challenge that status quo of whatever they're, they're, they're speaking to. So pay attention to that. Um, pay attention to those, those it, uh, um, inadvertent times when you're, you're nodding and smiling automatically just because we're supposed to be happy and engaged and we don't want to have that RBF on our face. So you don't have to look like this, but you don't have to look like you're you know, overly excited to be there. Just pay attention to that. Pay attention to your posture. Pay attention to how you walk. Um, even when in the meetings in between, or the times in between the meetings, uh, people are watching you. If you've arrived at a point where you're in a leadership role, you have other women around you that are aspiring to be where you are. So always walk with a presence and a purpose um, and make sure you're paying attention to that. Okay. So let's go back to our panel and talk about some more personal leadership strategies that can help us change our game. Great. This is probably one of the most robust conversations we had last <laughs> night. Um, and so we've all heard the you know, saying that um, executive presence is what moves us up the ladder. So I'm going to ask our panelists um, to kind of pull the curtains back a little bit and give us some advice about some personal strategies that you have hit to incorporate to have a more influential presence when you're at meetings and when you're in those positions um, that has kind of accelerated you in your career journey. What have you done personally? Okay, I'll start. <laughs> the most important thing you can do is to know your craft. You must know everything about what you're doing as best you possibly can so that when you go into these meetings, then you're like E.F. Hutton. They're going to listen to you because you know what you're talking about. Okay? And also, Keisha brought it on there where she talked about when you speak and value-added getting to the point. Knowing your craft, you're going to be able to do that. That's going to help you in getting to the point, being deliberate, and going in there and, and, and getting a decision, if you will, okay? Because you'll be, they'll ask you questions or they'll come back and refute what you say. But if you know your craft, 
then you are going to be able to articulate that, articulate that succinctly, and get your point across, and pretty much shut down those naysayers. What What's difficult, and I, I've had this in my career, where I didn't quite know everything, and I went in there, and I thought I was ready, and I went in there, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going in there, and I'm going to sell this idea, and they're like, well, what about this? And I'm like, oh, oh. You know, you're mad at yourself because you didn't think about that. But knowing all those things and always thinking about the second and third order effects of what you're trying to talk about, okay? Try to anticipate what those questions are. We as leaders and we go in there, we always report to somebody. So think about those second and third order effects of any decision, of any uh, proposal or anything like that. What are they going to ask? And then be prepared for that. I think that's helpful. Nonverbal. Let me go ahead and get my piece out right because <laughs> uh, I used to. I, I I've worked at this for years for the nonverbals because I am quick to just say like, you are about to. <laughs> what in the world are you thinking? You know, and it, and it just doesn't work. So you really have to be cognizant of those nonverbal things coming across the eye rolling and and I really appreciate the. Uh, finding a partner that helps you into those kind of things because uh, it, it's very important as you grow and as you become a leader to uh, dispel some of those rumors or naysayers that they think about us as women a lot of times. You know, we, we go in there, oh, we're so emotional and we're criers and we can't do this and we can't do that. But guess what? You can. You can do anything you set your mind to. And so I'll chime in. Um, so I'm five two. No, not five two and a half. I'm like five two. <laughs> so I think honestly, for a lot of a lot of women, you've got to you know figure out how to take up space without like man spreading and putting your stuff everywhere. And so um, when I first started out working, I was like, how do I show up? Like I, you know, what I mean, I twenty years ago I looked really young, so I was like, how do I show up? And so it's important to be authentic to yourself, you know. And so. You got to find that rhythm with all the tips that Keisha shared of how do you own your space? How do you make sure you're not up speaking? You also need to present in a way that's genuine and authentic to you. Because if you try to fit some role model or be something that you're not, it's going to fall flat. Mm -hmm. So for me, I always try to find that balance of how do I make sure I show up, but in a way that's meaningful. And I couldn't agree more with her point about knowing your craft. It's great to have a seat at the table, but if you just sit there and what you say is not impactful, and if you don't have that knowledge and if you are not adding value, you will not only lose that seat at the table, but you'll hurt other women as well. You know what I mean? So when you get that seat at that table, use your voice in an authentic, meaningful, and impactful way. Know your stuff and, and, and show up well. Um, I have a, I don't eye roll because my mom would hit me when I was little and I said that, but I, apparently I have an RBF too and I sneer. And so this is a stupid trick for me, but I know if I don't want to show expression, because you do, you can't sit there overly, ah, oh, it's great, and you can't be scowling, which is what I tend to do. I gently, not hard, I gently bite the inside of my lip. And that keeps your mind focused on not being like, eh, you know? And so for me, it's those little things, like if someone's saying something that I really disagree with, and I can't wait to be like, I kind of pause, mm -hmm. I think that pop power in the pause, that's the, like, I'm gonna take that line. It's yeah. taking that moment to kind of reset. And for me, it's just making sure that my face is not betraying how I'm feeling inside. So I kind of like, little bite of the lip on the inside, it kind of keeps me focused. Deep breaths are huge for me. And I did not learn this at work. I learned this with my teenage children. 
Um, <laughs> sometimes they say something and you're like, and just that one breath, just mm -hmm. two or three seconds in, two or three seconds out, that pause, the world can reshift. Because someone else in the room might address the craziness you just saw. Mm -hmm. It might, the person is like, oh, you know, now that I think, you never know. So you need to pause so you do respond and not react. That was really, really powerful yeah. advice. Okay, let's go to the audience. Good morning. My name is Lynn Bay with United Technologies Pratt & Whitney. Um, I actually today manage uh, part of our business where I'm based at the corporate office, but my team is 100% somewhere else mm -hmm. at customer locations. And as I think about these in my head, I call them ticks and feedback. Are, have you had any experience in this kind of interaction, the setup that I have with my team? And how do you get feedback or how do you know or did you find any uh, tools or techniques that help? Because my communication with my team, though I do travel and meet with them face to face from time to time, is primarily through email, telephone, and web conferencing. Uh, we don't even use video conferencing uh, much in our organization. I, my idea was going to be video conferencing, yeah. I think, helps a lot because there's a power in looking people in the face. Absolutely. You can gauge engagement. I often, when we're all on those conference calls, you wonder, are folks listening to what you're saying? You can't always tell over the phone, but when it's video, you can tell a bit more if the person's engaged. So I don't know if there's a way to introduce that technology a bit more to your teams. Sorry. The technology exists, the culture does not. Um, well, it's, it's, it's in a good way, right? We, we've got, um, we serve the government and other companies, and so in terms of managing our technical data, we tend, you, you, you have something on your back wall and you forget it's there, and now all of a sudden you've put it on video and you don't know, you know. So from that standpoint, that's why our culture, um, we don't have a culture that uses video, but we actually have the new WebEx tool that actually has video on it. Yeah. Uh, but most people have something to cover the camera on their laptop. <laughs> so our culture is just not there right now. I would say maybe to the extent that you can, at least with your team and within whatever data control rules you have, kind of start to create that expectation, at least for periodic, maybe big team meetings. Okay. Everyone's on the camera. I manage a pretty large remote team. Um, I think I've mastered the follow-up call. Because when you're on a one-on-one -on -one with mm. someone, even or a group mm -hmm. call, you know your intent. You know how you want to land and what you're trying to convey. You don't always know how it impacts right. the individuals. And four people can hear the same thing and all feel four very different ways about it. So I've tried to, if you have a call on a Tuesday, it's powerful, I think, when the next day your leader reaches out to be like, were you good yesterday? How'd that land? Okay. You know, what'd you hear and I how are you that. feeling? I think when you ask people, everyone likes to talk about how they're feeling. So when you ask them, like, how they're feeling, like, everyone has feelings. Right. You know, we're emotional beings, as Keisha said, so you're all going to answer you. And then from how they're feeling, you can really use that conversation, I think, to get really good feedback. I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. And that's a great thing to do, especially when you're, uh, you're geographically separated in your own calls, you can follow it up with an email, but you also have to be very careful about email. Because email, you know, it may not be what you're trying to convey, and people read it, and, it, and it, they read something more into it. So I am a telephone person. I want you to hear me, I want you to understand, and then, you know, active listening, that kind of stuff, so that people understand what it is I'm trying to tell them, versus you send an email and say, hey, the sky's blue, okay, hypothetically. And you see that the sky is gray. You know, it's like, well, what is she talking about? Or whatever. But, um, yeah, I would just say just be careful on email. But that's how we have to communicate now. 
it's all about a collaboration and, and, and not being able to uh, see each other. But that, that telephone is just powerful for me. Thanks. Let's go to the next question. Nazareth with the Office of Director of National Intelligence, big acronym. Um, my question or kind of comment, wanted to get your thoughts on two topics, the superwoman syndrome and mental wellness and how the two are connected and how in the world that we live in today with very few number of women across different industries being in the top, you know, SES as we call them, um, there is pressure to be a superwoman, especially if you're a working mom or a single mom or whatever. And added to that is the impact of mental health and the fact that we don't pay enough attention to how it impacts our lives, especially in government and, you know, the clearance process and the fact that some people think that, you know, if you declare you have, I have, I was diagnosed with ADHD and I talk about it because I feel like it's something that is good to share, but mm -hmm. there's misconceptions about talking about mental health, mental well health and um, being a superwoman. I want to be a good mom. I want to be, a, you know, a badass, excuse my French, mm -hmm. and at work, I want to, I don't necessarily want to climb the ladder, but I want to be good at what I'm doing. But there's that pressure to be good at every facet of your life. So I wanted to get your thoughts at, as female leaders on how, what your thoughts are about, you know, the superwoman syndrome and mental health and how that is um, at your different uh, organizations. Yeah, I'm chomping at the bit well, to, to jump into this one. Um, so I gave this analogy yesterday at a group we were, I was uh, 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 talking to. You guys heard the expression, men are like waffles and women are like noodles? guys have never heard that you know men men t tend to think in, in in boxes they handle situations challenges decisions if they've got to handle the kids and do yard work or whatever they do one at a time we will mow the grass while feeding the baby and cooking <laughs> dinner at the same time we're noodles we're just all up in there right and and sometimes those are good skills to have because it allows us to multitask and be effective in multiple ways but you're right over time it will wear on you and i am i am kate i am a prime example of a of the person who, who who doesn't take as much time as I should for that 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 I that a woosa moment, right? Um, and so I think self awareness is really important um, as as a female working in a high impact industry or a high impact position. Um, we we have to understand what affects us emotionally, uh, at things at home, uh, things in our lives, and then we have to create opportunities for us to address those things and deal with those things in a healthy way. A lot of times we bring that baggage with us, um, literally. We, we bring, if you see women, a lot of times we're walking around with three and four different bags, and it's so indicative <laughs> of the things we do in life. Uh, my mom, every time she comes over my house to watch my five-year-old, she's got like five bags with her, and I'm like, you don't have that much in your life going on. But my, my point is being, <laughs> my, my point is being self-aware of what, in, what impacts you, what affects you, and then being honest with yourself and recognizing when you need to take those mental breaks, when you need to schedule time on your calendar. That, that they were talking about schedule time on your calendar to think big thoughts. I intentionally schedule two weekdays a month that I'm going to be off. Yeah, I've got weekends off, but I have two weekdays a month that I'm off, whether I have something to do or not. And they're weekdays because my boys are at school. You know, they're home on the weekend, right? <laughs> they're there. <laughs> and so, you know, being doing things like that to be intentional, that's something that I had to find that I had to do. 
Um, now, I do pick up my phone sometimes on those weekdays, but I'm not at work. Um, so it's important to make sure that you, you find those things that make a difference for you. Thanks. I know we got a lot. We got three other questions mm -hmm. lined up, and we're winding down. So I want to make sure we get to those. My name is Tyria Riley. I am at the Boeing Company. My well, earlier you talked about knowing your craft, and sometimes we're put in roles where we're not the subject matter expert. Um, can you talk about some strategies on times where you've had to recover when you've been, I'll say, for example, given a presentation and you didn't have that third order of knowledge? How have you recovered from those situations? I talked about that, too, about uh, utilizing resources that are there when you're not the SME, okay? And if you... I would say if you're going into a meeting and <clears throat> excuse me, and you don't have all the information or you're caught off guard in a meeting and you let me take that as a takeaway and I'll get back to you. And then you start utilizing those resources to, to understand what it is that they're asking and uh, to, to help you to grow as well. And then the next time you go into that meeting, you're feeling a little, lot more confident. But utilizing those resources, I think, is, is key because we don't know everything even though sometimes we, we think we do, but we don't always. But um, sometimes we have to ask that person that, you know, may not be the friendliest person, but they're the most knowledgeable person. And we, we go and we talk to them and we make sure that we understand what it is that we want to get from them and, uh, and take that into our meeting next time. I hope that answers your question. I think with the whole rise, too, of like, what was it, Brene Brown does like vulnerability-based leadership and all that. Mm -hmm. I think it's becoming more common. So like, if you don't know something and you fake an answer, chances are someone in the room is going to know that yeah. you're wrong or you're not fully right. And so I think it's powerful. And I have so much respect for a colleague, you know, regardless of gender, when they say, that's a great question. I don't know. I'll get back mm -hmm. to you. And then make sure you get back. Don't ever walk out of a meeting, even if there's not mm -hmm. a follow-up meeting, even if the decision is made at, later in the meeting. But if someone asked you a question and you said, I'll get back to you, get back to them. They will have so much respect for you for owning in the moments that you didn't know and then having that drive and curiosity to go and find the answer. And we also talked last night about you're not going to win every time. <laughs> and those moments when you don't put a win down are the most impactful learning experiences you will have in your career. So there's always an opportunity to recover. But what you learn from those experiences will, you know, be that recovery method. Next question. My name is Tabitha McGriff with Huntington Ingalls Industries. And we've talked largely about how in a leadership role that you need to build your team to promote growth and development. How do you balance that supporting role with being purposeful and acting with intent in your own career as well? Uh, again, I think it goes back to creating an environment uh, where you, you serve as a catalyst for organizational learning. Um, you're constantly um, carving out time, whether it's in your staff meetings or what have you, to emphasize opportunities to learn. What did you learn? You're just you're creating that dialogue around it so that learning becomes just organic. And as a part of that, that development happens. So if you can kind of get that going in the background, that'll help supplement your efforts. But then knowing your people, knowing specifically what they want to develop in, where, where are the opportunities to improve, um, you know, uh, uh, making sure that you're leaning into those individually, but at the same time, creating those times to, to think big thoughts, to go after the hard stuff. It's, it, it is a unique balance. But I think when you create that, that environment where learning is just natural, development happens naturally. Yeah. I think when you focus on developing your team, 
and you're growing their capabilities. Again, you open up your own bandwidth for yourself and you're also creating such an amazing legacy. Like the best thing for me is knowing that almost anyone on my team could do what I do. You know what I mean? And that's powerful. It might mean somebody takes my job someday, but that's great because I'll go and do something else impactful because I'm also growing my skills for whatever's next. So I think when I look back on, on teams that I've led, it's that legacy of knowing that you help someone move forward. Okay. So we have time for one more question. This is girl. I realize our time is up. I'm sorry. I'm, my name is Catalina Martinez, and I work for NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And I recently participated in the Department of Commerce's First Generation Professionals Summit, the first time they've ever embraced that group or, you know, tried to really get us together for something really positive. And I'm so excited to be part of that. But what, you know, as a first generation professional myself, first to enter, you know, from my family into a professional workspace, you, there are a lot of gaps that we bring with us. Also, a lot of superpowers that may be, you know, really unique and helpful, but a lot of those gaps have to do with the unwritten rules, right, that you've been sharing some of those today. So I didn't know if you could provide some um, guidance for those of us um, who have been in these professions now for some time, have a very hard time finding our own champions within our workspace and still have, bring those gaps to bear and have a hard time learning those unwritten rules. And thank you so much for everything that you shared today. I'll, I'll say this right quick. You, you said about finding champions within your own workspace. They don't have to be in your own workspace. Yeah. I, I have champions look, look, that are definitely all, outside. Yeah. Here, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's about networking. It's about mm -hmm. collaboration. And you, there will be someone in your workspace too, but as far as the mentoring piece and, and, and helping you to grow, they don't necessarily have to be in your workspace. I know I've got a lot of mentors. I've got a lot of champions that are not in my office. I do too. Thank you for pointing that out. Yes. Okay, great. But the, the culture is different, right? So you can, some, so the champions I have that are not part of my immediate orbit mm -hmm. are immensely helpful and part of my success for That's sure great. in life. Um, it's just difficult when that organizational culture that you're surrounded by um, is, is certainly different. Okay. Thank you. I want to thank all of you. Um, this discussion went way too fast, yeah. um, which we anticipated. You know, I, I do appreciate um, everybody's participation, as I know our other panelists do as well. Um, I first want to take an opportunity to thank our panelists. Um, the next point I would like to make as you guys are networking with each other, going to the hallway, you know, um, at the career fair, going to your next session, you know, continue this dialogue. This ongoing dialogue is really impactful. Um, the deck will be shared via the app um, and it will be updated to include the email addresses for all, of all of us if you guys want to reach out and connect. Um, also, please feel free to grab us after the session here if you have some questions or want to continue dialogue on something. Um, there will be a survey um, via the app to talk about, you know, the impactfulness of this session overall. Um, and also, there will be additional resources on the um, deck that's shared that talks about um, a recommended book list for you to kind of, you know, think about some additional um, knowledge that you can utilize as you take your career journey 
And once again, I do want to thank all of you for attending this morning and the robust conversation that we had today. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Strategic Executive Leadership. Discover essential leadership skills that change the game. A professional development seminar. Featuring Senior Manager for Boeing Global Engagement, Bernice Billups. Chief Financial Officer for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Cheryl Partey. Director of Learning and Workforce Development for Huntington Ingalls Industries, Keisha Pexton and Tanya Axenson of Aerotech. If you've enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Women of Color STEM Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.womenofcolor.net. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.